Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning, and it's always a great morning to talk about the future of the GOP and the conservative party. Hopefully, uh, Republicans should be synonymous with conservatism. And, you know, we have kind of lost that, I think, a little bit uh, from the era of the days of Ronald Reagan. And we tend to hearken back uh, to that at events like CPAC uh, that's coming up here in D.C. this weekend. Uh, But all around the country, uh, the races for local state GOP chair are happening. And we saw, especially in the wake of the uh, I had hoped would be more dramatic, but wasn't quite as dramatic. A race for uh, the national RNC chair uh, came down, of course, to the votes of uh, who runs the party in the state. So we need to focus on states in terms of the priorities of the GOP party and understanding how uh, this party system actually works. I think in uh, the wake of Ronna McDaniel's uh, term and and that entire uh, race, it was surprising to a lot of people to recognize that the grassroots and the opinion of all of the voters across the country uh, ultimately didn't matter. It's a little bit more like an electoral college where you have the delegates from each of the states uh, go to the national uh, RNC meeting and gathering and vote on behalf of the voters in the state who is the chairperson. So who are those people and uh, why does this matter? Well, my good friend uh, Kevin Lundberg from my home state of Colorado, who is a former uh, state senator, um, he has been involved in uh, Colorado politics for many, many years. And uh, he's known me actually since I was uh, probably in middle school through homeschooling. And uh, he actually taught one of my very first classes in constitutional law when uh, I was in high school. So I've known him a really long time and we've engaged a lot of different issues at the state capitol. I've testified on behalf of his bills when he carried those um, in the House and the Senate and committees. Um, so it's been a really great friendship over the years. And he is now running for Colorado. Colorado GOP chair. So he joins me now. And good morning, Kevin. Thanks so much uh, for being on today. Well, good morning, Jenna. It's great being with you. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we we were talking a few days ago, Kevin, and and about the priorities of uh, the state level uh, GOP. And, you know, for those, because it's a national program and people, of course, are listening um, in other states beyond Colorado. Um, so from a broader perspective, not just in Colorado, why does the GOP chair matter in terms of setting the priorities for the state? Well, the the state organizations, of course, are the, you know, kind of the umbrella group in each state. Uh, it really boils down below that to the folks on the ground in the counties and here in Colorado uh, uh, actually it's, it's kind of interesting to see how it does work or has been working out in Colorado because the grassroots really are motivated and mobilized and last month we had the the uh, election of the uh, chairman and the other officers for each county and now they're going to meet um, let's see it's a, a week from Saturday uh, to determine who the 
the uh, state chairman and the vice chair and the secretary are. Um, it's and and of course, as you, as you pointed out, then uh, then the, uh, the the chairman become a part of the RNC, and then we also have elected um, committee women and committee men. So we've got three people from every state that go on to form this national body for the party that actually selects the overall chairman and sets a lot of the policies that really are in place. And and I, what I really enjoy seeing right now is is the resurgence of a conservative um, uh, focus on the part of the grassroots. And that's already bubbled up to the counties here in Colorado. And, and now we're at that next step of, you know, picking those final leaders who will, who will help determine the future of the party for the next couple of years. And, you know, the curious thing is the chairman for the national party picked before the, the current term, the, you know, the new team for 2024 at the state level. So we've got kind of this, uh, um, you know, this, this rolling uh, system where, uh, yeah, you, you noted that it was a little anticlimactic at the national level, but I'd point out that those are the chairs that were picked uh, for the state level two years ago. So I see a new uh, a new group uh, that I really am excited about uh, across the country, and, and I'm very hopeful that we're going to have something like that here in Colorado as well. Hmm. And I'm speaking with uh, former state senator uh, Kevin Lundberg, who is running for Colorado GOP chair. And you raise an interesting point that I hadn't considered, uh, Kevin, which is that the the national chair is selected by the basically the outgoing members if they choose to not run again, which is the case in Colorado. Um, it would almost be like the outgoing uh, Congress choosing and selecting a speaker for the next two years before the yeah. incoming Congress is sworn in, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, actually. Well, in one sense, it doesn't. In another, you could say, well, this preserves a little more continuity so that there isn't a radical change at the top. But, but um, yeah, you're right. It, the, the party can't be quite as nimble in picking its leadership because each election cycle is distinctly different from the previous one for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of the Biden's uh, disaster uh, administration, and uh, the, the people who were selected as the chairs um, were actually elected before all of that. So now we see this new reality. And I believe that's a big reason why, at least here in Colorado, we've seen a real resurgence of, of focus. I mean, at the county level in my county, Larimer County, where, where you started as well mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago, um, <laughs> We usually had, you know, like 50, 80 people show up at the county uh, central committee meeting to pick the officers. Well, this year it was over 200 people were there. Wow. Not all of them were voting members, but, I mean, everybody was just really focused. And, and yesterday I had the opportunity to have, have a, a little Zoom call with a county up in Montana. Don't ask me how that all happened, but, <laughs> but I see and heard the same thing there is people understand we've got to make some changes and we've got to be bold and direct about it. You know, it's not business as usual anymore. You know, frankly, we need to take back our country before it's too late. 
Well said. Absolutely. And I think that um, especially in Colorado, that has really uh, devolved over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. I mean, it's, it's a totally different state than the one that I grew up in, in terms of uh, the political landscape and especially in terms of the uh, leadership and the majority in uh, the state legislature. And um, and so, you know, seeing how the landscape in Colorado has really led to a resurgence of the grassroots there. And I think um, that is mirrored, as you said, across uh, the country and in other states. Um, conservatives and Republicans are genuinely wanting to uh, to be engaged in civil society, to be engaged in all of these different leadership positions, whether it's uh, the national or the state party, or it's in elected office on the state level like you were, or the national level. And you spoke a little bit ago, um, Kevin Lundberg, about the priorities of the Republican Party. And you have a really great plan in terms of um, the state level, because you highlighted to me the other day that um, the state's don't actually have a platform uh, where the national GOP, of course, does, but the states really don't, and so don't necessarily mirror some of those priorities in terms of uh, the candidates. So what's your plan for the state-level GOP? Well, we need to stick with that uh, that national platform, but if you look at it, it, it really doesn't hone down to what applies directly to a a lot of states, or at least, you know, the, the unique things that they each one has. And it's also pretty complicated. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's there, believe me, and, and it gives a good guidance. But I, my plan here in Colorado, and I'll just speak for what I'm looking forward to, is, is to very intentionally identify what are our main priorities. And this is for, actually, I can see three groups that really will benefit from this. One is the members of the party themselves will understand, this is why I'm here. These are the real important principles of, of conservative values in 21st century America. But secondly, candidates who run for office sometimes get a little confused as to what party they're with. <laughs> and that's when things really fall apart. And unfortunately, we saw that uh, pretty directly with some of the candidates here in Colorado um, this last election cycle. But if if the party is very clearly said, this is where we stand. These are the principles, the solid principles that that we know uh, will be good for our state and good for our nation. Um, and then that will um, help hone the process for candidate selection. But there's a third group I'm really concerned with, too. Here in Colorado, we have an open primary system, which needs to go away as well. But um as a consequence, a lot of people are not interested in joining a party because mm-hmm. of the way the uh, primary system works. And if they're unaffiliated, they get a ballot from both the Democratic side and the Republican side, which uh, is a little bit backwards and upside down. But I want to tell those people who have unaffiliated from the Republican Party that this is who we are and come back to the fold or Join us in the first place because these are the values and principles we stand for. And I know that if the state party goes through a very intentional process where everybody buys into the really big issues, then then uh, uh, I believe we've got a, a flag to rally around much more substantial than just say, well, I want an R behind my name as opposed to a D or an L or a something else. 
Hmm. Well, and you, you're actually speaking directly to a, an important audience here because I unaffiliated from the Republican Party um, very publicly uh, in the aftermath of uh, the 2020 election and uh, some of the things that the national leadership, specifically Ronna McDaniel and some of the lawyers uh, were doing on the national side, but also because, um, and, and I'm, of course, a resident and a voter in Colorado. And as you said, un- being unaffiliated still allows me to, v- to vote in the primary. Um, But I unaffiliated because I don't think that the party stands currently for the values that I care about. And when we look at uh, what just happened in this last midterm election with the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate being uh, not taking a stand on pro-life issues, Um, I mean, and, and being someone who was so focused on you know, entrepreneurship and and capitalism uh, was, in my view, in a lot of ways, actually antithetical to what the Republican Party should stand for. So what you're saying is absolutely critical, even for people like me who have been engaged in politics in Colorado for a really long time. Well, and and Jenna, I would say, especially for people who who, uh, reacted like you did, and for a variety of reasons, and you're right, the the candidate running for the U.S. Senate was, was not Republican. And and, you know, you, you said capitalism. Well, he was a crony capitalist, not a capitalist. <laughs> valid. Also you know, valid. <laughs> he operated off big, com, you know, government contracts. So he, you know, but let, let's leave leave that one in the, in the past, because what I'm concerned with is 2024 and 26 and 28 and following, because we need to hold the flag up for good values that, that uh, create great government which means not more government, but less government, because, of course, as government grows, liberties diminish. And life and liberty are those two big values that I put up and say, these are the the reasons we're here, the reason our country exists, the reason the Constitution was written in the first place, and the Declaration of Independence. Get back to those core values, but translate it to 21st century America. And do it intentionally at a state-by-state level, because that's another important value uh, point is the party needs to understand that you can't run it from a big national platform and, and call it good. You've got to drill down to the state level. And then in the states, you've got to, you've got to empower the counties, the county organizations and the, you know, the individuals to go and do what they know is best for them in their situation. Yeah, and and Kevin uh, Lundberg, we're running up against a hard break, but can you stay on the line because I'd love to continue this conversation and we'll go into uh, the next segment with you to talk a little bit more um, about these platforms. Um, So we'd love to do Uh, that with you. Okay, great. All right, well, we'll be right back with more with Kevin Lundberg on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. What could healthcare sharing mean to you? Well, if you're like a lot of people who switched to MediShare, honestly, it's a huge relief. Like for the parents of an eight-year-old girl fighting cancer, it's confidence they have in having a community praying for them and paying their medical bills so they can focus on just being there and loving their daughter. Or for a young couple getting ready to welcome their first child into the world, it's being able to be in the moment, getting to enjoy this great gift from God without worrying about medical bills. 
And it's a relief these days to know you can actually save some money on something. The typical family saves $500 a month by switching to MediShare. And it's a ministry. When you call them, you talk to actual humans who want to help you. So that's a relief too. MediShare has been around 30 years. It's affordable, reliable health care. It's a great time to switch to. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. God made his design for marriage and family absolutely clear. Unfortunately, Satan has a totally opposite view. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023 wants to restore God's plan. July 6th through the 8th at the Cadence Bank Arena and Conference Center in Tupelo, Mississippi, strengthen your marriage and your family with Abraham Hamilton III. Having been made members of his eternal family, we now have a responsibility to consider how to stir one another up. George Barna. You cannot say there's a one-size-fits-all approach in ministry. If you've got a church of a thousand people, you have a thousand different stories, hurts, fears, doubts. Dr. Lee Brand. People gather together in buildings with steeples on top and crosses out front and never mention the name of Jesus, and that's sad. And many more. The Youth Apologetics track is back as well. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023, for His Glory Alone. Register today at marriagefamilylife.net. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. The Supreme Court heard arguments this week on President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan. Now, if the Democrats have their way, American taxpayers will have to pay for student loans that were taken out by deadbeat college kids. The entitlement generation believes they are entitled to our hard-earned money. President Obama back in the day convinced a generation of young Americans their lives would be meaningless if they did not attend college. So, guess what happened? Well, a lot of young people who otherwise would have gone to a trade school or jumped into the workforce took out massive loans and now have college degrees with no job. That's one of the reasons I respect President Trump so much. He affirmed trade schools. He reminded Americans that welding and construction are noble jobs, good-paying jobs, jobs that do not require a college degree. Got to read my book, Culture Jihad. It's available at ToddStearns.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and I'm talking with my good friend Kevin Lundberg, who is a former Colorado state senator and a very dear friend of mine from Colorado who's running for the uh, Colorado state GOP chair. And this matters, of course, in the context of this conversation uh, to what the priorities of genuinely being a Republican candidate means in 2024 and beyond. And before the break, Kevin, we were talking about setting those standards and setting those priorities and actually empowering 
state leadership to set some of the the metrics and the qualifications for people to actually run on the ticket. And and I think this makes so much sense because um, so many people, uh, you know, myself as a voter in Colorado included, and we were talking about the um, U.S. Senate candidate, Joe O'Day, who was not pro-life, didn't stand for basically anything that uh, we would stand for, and certainly not what a Christian conservative Republican would stand for. Um, so how is is that implemented and what can the local uh, states do to try to uh, move the priorities and move uh, the needle on this issue rather than just deferring to the national kind of top-down leadership? Well, let me give it uh, to you this way. When I was in the legislature, I learned very early on that I needed to figure out what my principles and values were to simply vote adequately. You can't just, you know, react in a in just kind of a gut reaction of why well, I like this or I don't like this. No, it either aligns with your values and your priorities or it does not. Uh, and that's what I learned as a legislator. That applies to picking our candidates, either a party picking the candidates or you as an individual voter. You know, figure out what's really important out there. Um, as I said before, we've got this national platform, and that's a, an excellent touchstone for the big picture, but in each state, it needs to be in a very manageable, um, you know, efficient fashion, but but clearly targeting what are the real values of the Republican Party as opposed to, let's just say, the other guys, okay? <laughs> um, right. And, and, and it's so critically needed today because the other guys are jumping off the left edge of reality, so many ways and and yet they're they're very slick marketers so they kind of you know um fool everybody into uh, what what their real direction is i believe that we need to reset the foundation if you will and we need to do it at the state level in order to this i'm this is another big principle of mine is in order to empower the people uh, the, this should be the party of we the people, first and foremost, but but we can only do that effectively when we really understand what we're all about. You know, I, in any organization I've worked with and, and helped develop, I've realized that, that it's, your, it's your basic core mission and principles that really guide you. And if you don't have that, you're just kind of floundering. Well... My intention as chairman of the party for the Colorado GOP is to first about, uh, establish those principles and do it in a, in a, in a very, uh, um, um, you know, inclusive way. In other words, bring everybody in from all over the state and, and focus in on this and not just find my, my values, find our values and identify them. And it's not that hard. You know, again, you start with national platform, which really has good guidance. And, and then you just translate it into what does this mean to us? How do we, how do we put this together so that we can all understand it? And then of course, we've got to hit the ground running because it's not going to be too many months from now that we're going to be gearing up fast and hard for the 24 election. And here in Colorado in particular, you mentioned that, that we're, we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel right now because we don't have Republicans in, in state offices. We don't have a majority in, in either house, uh, in the legislature, and there are a whole lot of other 
dilemmas like that, even at the county levels, that that we need to reevaluate, readdress, and and Jenna, this is one of the reasons I drive on this because I'm convinced here in Colorado, the average citizen is a conservative uh, citizen that believes in in uh, you know in in family values and and in in the good economic policies, but we haven't as a party been able to really translate that into them understanding that you elect uh, our team and we're going to be in better shape. Well, this will, I believe, be that first foundational step to really putting it in place properly. And I'm speaking with uh, former state Senator Kevin Lundberg, who is running for Colorado GOP chair. And uh, Kevin, it, it I've heard from so many people on the state and federal level that 2024 and the uh, the race to the White House and, and all of the other elections that will come up in 2024 is all about reclaiming our national identity, reclaiming our conservative identity, and reclaiming what it means to be a Republican. And I think this kind of pervasive identity crisis um, is is a really important question. And I know from the listeners on this show, uh, there have been a lot of concerns over issues uh, like abortion, um, over the party making sure to uh, have candidates who do stand firmly for pro-life, for family values, um, against the LGBT movement. Um, But then, you know, when you look at some of the players in the national party and in even some of the affiliates or allies on the national level, Um, We seem to have this perspective, at least from Ronna McDaniel and others, of wanting a wide tent and saying, well, we can't be too specific and too exclusive in terms of our values um, because there are so many people who disagree on the social issues. So from your perspective, and and of course, um, you know, you're a sincere Christian, a conservative, I've known you for a long time. How do we make the priorities and define what our values are when it seems like there is a lot of a disagreement even within our own ranks of what it means to be a Republican? Well, one thing that does come to my mind, and I'm on a little bit of a campaign to, to, to cool their jets, is we, we've been run by what I'd, I'd call the consultant class far too long. Uh, and they're the ones that I believe have really lost touch with what is really happening within our uh, country? You know, you talk about the wide tent. That we used to call that the, the big tent. Okay. Well, guess what? Those were ideas that were plugged in about forty, fifty years ago, and they had a place to, you know, to to try to be a bit more inclusive with the party to bring in some areas. But but the the whole concept was sort of like, well, you need to water down what you're all about. No, you don't. You need to hone it down to a sharp point of understanding, because there are good things that you can do for government and for the people, and there are bad things. And when you water down your your good things, you know, which is really limit the, the scope and control of government. I mean, that that's a core, core value in, uh, in our conservative uh, uh, perspective, which which yeah, I, I, I always go back to the Declaration of Independence because they got it. They understood. You know, they stood up to King George, not, and they didn't offer to cut a deal with him. They said, it's finished. We're over because you're not doing the right things. Well, and then they, they spelled it out, and, and, you know, they came up with this, this notion of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness 
as as being the starting point. And then they went on to say, and government is there to secure the rights, not to grow the government, but to secure the rights. Well, I think we're 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 uh, in that process again today um, for the current um, culture, which is a huge threat to um, to everybody for so many reasons. And people know that. But, you know, again, I'll go back to I'm tired of listening to the conservative. uh, Excuse me. Wrong word. Wrong word. The (laughs) consultant class that simply says, well, I think we can manage this with a wider you know, more bland message. I'm sorry, you're in Colorado. The voters have rejected that. And uh, so I'm, I'm ready to, to take charge and push forward and engage in the fight of, uh, of better government, the fight for better government, and the fight against those who want to turn us into a, well, here in Colorado, we call it a California 2.0 is, is what the uh, current governor's uh, regime seems to be driving us towards. We've got to mm-hmm. stop that and go the other direction. And, and the first way is you lay a good foundation of what you're all about, and then you, you jump in from there with all the mechanics of doing, you know, running a good, solid campaign um, at the state level all the way down to the, you know, the grassroots, which are really – the folks who have their boots on the ground in their communities, they're the ones that count. They're the ones that I need to uh, to, to connect with and mobilize. Yeah, and, and speaking of the mechanics, uh, Kevin Lundberg, a lot of people are also very concerned about the election integrity piece because I think you're absolutely right that we need to make sure that we are standing as a party uh, for things rather than saying, well, you know, please join our party. We really just want your vote and it's totally fine. Whatever you believe, just please join us. I mean, that that to me is such a weak message instead of saying we join us because we're right and join us because of what we stand for. And if you want to run on our party ticket, then you have to agree to certain things because they're right and because that's what we stand for. And, uh, and a lot of people, um, especially in Colorado, you're right, uh, want that from the party. Um, People nationally want that from their states, from the national party. Um, but a lot of people are very concerned about re-engaging because of this piece on election integrity. And, um, you know, you and I have talked extensively about that issue. Um, we both were at a hearing uh, in the aftermath of the 2020 election. I think it was around December of 2020, um, talking about some of these issues right. with a lot of pushback from uh, Democrats who say, oh, Colorado is you know the greatest system ever. I mean, it was one of the first, um, I believe, five states that actually approved universal vote by mail. And so everybody gets mailed a ballot. That's not a good system. So what is the, or and what should be, the Colorado party platform that then can be translated to every state nationally on the issues of election integrity. Well, yeah, I thoroughly agree. I mean, um, in, in my uh, race for the uh, chairmanship here in Colorado, and it's a very competitive race too. There, there are several people running, but, but one of my priorities is fix Colorado's broken election system. Now I can't do that. The party chairman, does not have that authority to wave a magic wand and suddenly all the election problems go away. But I can get real loud about this and insist that we have um, a good system, or at least that we're aiming towards that. Now, I think other states are doing a better job. They've got a, a better legislature and much better governors who 
are really uh, interested in trying to cure the problems, and there are a ton of them out there. You know, it's not just one. You, you can't just fix this one little point and, and think the elections are going to be uh, completely uh, um, honest and, and uh, trustworthy. Uh, but, but as I say, we've, we've got to not accept the unreality of, oh, everything's okay, don't worry about it, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's all going to work out. Well, it's going to work out for the fraudsters, not, not for the, uh, the honest citizen. We need a transparent, a secure, and an accurate election system nationwide. And here in Colorado, it's going to take a lot of work to get there. But, but there are a couple of specific things, too. Let, let me mention this. We talked a little bit about the open primary system where an unaffiliated voter gets a ballot from both the Democrat and the Republican side of things. Well, um, that actually, the parties were forced into that by the law, and, and that's the Supreme Court determined way back in 2000 that you can't force a party to accept an open primary system. And so for one of the first things I'm going to do as chairman is to challenge that in federal court, which the current uh, um, administration of the party has, uh, has drug their feet on. Um, but then when it comes to fixing all the other things for the election process here in Colorado, it's going to be a hard, hard road. First, we've got to point out, there are problems that need to be fixed. I want to face squarely the evidence that's out there and then move in, in such a way that we can ultimately get back to fair, honest, transparent, secure, and accurate elections. Yeah, and, and this should not be a partisan issue. I mean, I've said this from even day one uh, representing uh, Trump and the campaign in the aftermath of the 2020 election that, you know, we, we just want to get to the truth. We want to get to uh, fundamental fairness, and we want to make sure that every legal vote counts and counts fairly, and we want to make sure that our system is transparent. And and I think from so from so many people's perspectives, they really need to wrap their head around this, that it is going to take time. Election integrity has been a fight for the last, you know, 20 plus years. This isn't a new issue. There are new things that have come up, but this isn't going to be, as you say, Kevin Lundberg, an overnight magic wand fix. We have to be engaged, and this is why we need to take the next two years to make a lot of significant headway. And it starts with getting people like you in office uh, and not not only on the party level, but also, of course, on the state level in elected office. And and that's incredibly important. Absolutely. And, and actually, let, let, let me make one thing clear, too, because the media here in Colorado has been saying, oh, well, you're an election denier. Well, <laughs> I want to clear the air. That's not true. An election denier is somebody who refuses to look at all the evidence. I'm looking at all the evidence, and I want to find the right solutions, not deny the reality that is just too obvious if you dig in and, and really look deep. Yes, well, well said. Well, Kevin Lundberg, I wish you all the best and success, and uh, hopefully you can join us again uh, before your election. And people really need to get engaged on your state level. This isn't just Colorado. This is all about what's going on in every single state. Know who uh, your party representatives are, are running. Know who they are. Champion them. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Hannah's heart. 
a half-hour program specifically designed to encourage Christian couples walking through infertility and miscarriage. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome, Mm -hmm. but this is a show that says, however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White each Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. You can find the podcast at AFR.net. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. So the Biden administration is preparing to enter the United States into a legally binding agreement with the World Health Organization that would grant the entity authority to mandate America's health care policies in the event of a future pandemic. This would cede American sovereignty to the WHO to determine treatments, government regulations such as lockdowns and vaccine mandates, global supply chains and surveilling populations after a global health emergency is declared. Biden lawlessness continues. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, pivoting now to the state of Mississippi, there is a lot going on around the country contemplating uh, very important legislation in the wake of the left's denial of reality, including the biological difference between men and women and suggesting that, quote unquote, gender affirming care is remotely appropriate for uh, minors and persons under the age of 18. And the state of Mississippi is doing something about that uh, in a very remarkable way. And so uh, they are pushing through the legislature, House Bill 1125, which would um, essentially prohibit 
the direct or indirect use grant payment or distribution of public funds to provide gender transition procedures to anyone under the age of 18. This is an incredibly important bill. And uh, Philip Gunn, who is the Mississippi uh, House Speaker, joins me now on this legislation that he has sponsored and championed. Um, So Speaker Gunn, first of all, thank you so much for being willing to address these critical issues uh, head on. And uh, how and where is this in um, the process of, uh, of the legislative process? Well, good morning, Jenna, and thanks for having me on your show today. Uh, good news is the bill has already made it to the governor's desk and has been signed as of two days ago. So that was, uh, that was great news for us. We fast-tracked this bill. It was pretty much the first thing we did when we convened in January. Our legislature meets uh, for three months, January, February, and March. And I think the first or second week of the session, we took this bill up on the House side. It basically just says no gender surgeries, transition surgeries uh, of any sort can be performed on any child below the age of 18. And this is driven by concern for their health. This is purely a health related issue you know we as a society have determined that children are just not capable of making a number of decisions we have age restrictions on when they can drive we have age restrictions on when they can buy alcohol or smoke tobacco or get tattoos or get married or get a credit card or any number of things that that we prohibit because we know that the 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 mind of a teenager uh, is is not yet fully developed. They they go through a lot of different things in uh, their childhood that they're just not capable of processing and making decisions for. So many of those decisions that I just mentioned, uh, you could you could reverse course later in life if you chose to smoke tobacco. You could put that down later. But when you change your sex, that's forever. That's a permanent decision, and so. If we're not going to allow those children to make decisions in those other things that don't have such devastating consequences, we certainly don't need to allow them to do that here. Many times there's confusion that surrounds who they are as a teenager, and later in life they mature and realize uh, some of those thoughts were not not fully developed. And so this is a bill we brought forward immediately as one of the top priorities of our session. We passed it, uh, sent it to the Senate, and the Senate engaged and passed it. And on Tuesday of this week, the governor signed it into law immediately, effective immediately. So right now, those procedures are out are, are banned in Mississippi. Well, congratulations, and this is an incredible step forward to protect the children of the state of Mississippi, and I hope that similar legislation is passed all across the country, because as you mentioned, Speaker Gunn, uh, this is about protecting the innocence of children and protecting uh, them from life-altering decisions that can't be rescinded. And if we don't even allow uh, minors to engage in contracts, for example, engage in um, renting a hotel room, engage in, um, you know, getting a driver's license until, you know, the age of um, mostly, you know, at the age of 16 or operating a CDL until uh, later, you know, alcohol, you can't buy until you're 21, yet you can change 
your gender, which, you know, we know, of course, is not even possible, but having this type of uh, genital mutilation surgery, which is what it really is, it's not gender affirming care, it's utter mutilation of their physical body. Uh, that is something that the state needs to step in and protect. Um, some on the leftist side would try to invoke the uh, parental rights challenge to this type of legislation and say, well, conservatives are all for parents making decisions in the best interests of their children, which, of course, we would champion and say, so why can't parents then choose for their children if they think that their child uh, says, well, you know, I mean, I'm a biological girl, but I feel like a boy. And they think in consultation with a psychotherapist or whomever, um, this is something that's right for my child. Where do, where should uh, the government step in and say, you know, this isn't an issue of parental rights. This is an issue of general safety. Well, I think it goes back to what we've already said. Society has determined that children are not capable of making certain decisions. They, they just are not, their minds are not fully developed on, on certain items. And so let's just take voting, for example. We don't let children vote until they're 18 years of age. We as a society have determined they're not capable of, of making those decisions. So you, you as a parent, show up with your 12-year-old child, and you tell me, I, as a parent, have determined that my child is mature. My child studies politics. My child is up to date on all the current issues. And therefore, as a parent, I'm exercising my parental right to let my, uh, to let my 12-year-old child vote in this election. Well, society's going to say we don't care. That, that is not your, your call to make as a parent. Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with tobacco. You show up as a parent and say, hey, my child is responsible. They can handle alcohol. I'm on, uh, they're 15 years old. I want you to sell them some alcohol. We as the society have decided, no, we do not believe that it is right for our society to uh, allow 15-year-olds to have alcohol. So there are certain, yes, I'm all about parental rights. I think every one of us believes it's the, the obligation and responsibility of parents to raise their children. But we as a society have determined that there are certain things that are do not fall within that that uh, that right, and this would be, uh, like we said, those other things don't necessarily have devastating lifelong consequences. If we're going to I I invoke restrictions on certain things uh, in those arenas, how much more so should we do in something that is a permanent like this that, as you said, is genital mutilation. It's something from which you can never reverse course. And so that's that's how you explain that. There are certain things that parental rights do not extend to. Very, very well said. And uh, and Speaker Gunn, I hope for everyone listening, um, you know, what you just stated and how you responded to that is exactly the argument. And so while the left tries to manipulate uh, some of these terms and throw back at us uh, with the things that we champion, we have to make clear distinctions between uh, what is in the realm of parental rights and what is in the realm of legislative purview. And certainly protecting children uh, from this type of genital mutilation uh, surgery is something that is a legitimate uh, governmental function. There is a purpose behind it. Um, do you expect that this law is going to be challenged by um, certain you know, civil rights groups or certain people who would be the 
the LGBT advocates? Um, is the governor's office and, and the attorney general expecting that? And if so, um, you know, do you welcome that challenge? Because let's not forget that it was the state of Mississippi, and, and I believe you were on the forefront of the legislation that actually um, – eventually worked its way up that challenge to the Supreme Court and became the uh, basis for the Dobbs decision for Roe versus Wade being overturned. Yes, I'm very proud of the fact that the uh, uh, House Bill 1510, which we passed in 2018, is the bill that was used to overturn Roe versus Wade. And that started right here in the Mississippi House of Representatives and uh, very proud of my caucus and those others in the House of Representatives who've led the effort on that. And we see a day now when Roe versus Wade is overturned, which many of us thought would never happen. I do believe it's hard to say whether this bill will be challenged or not. Every time we seem to pass one of these social-type bills, uh, the ACLU or uh, some other group will usually challenge them. At this point, I have not heard of or seen any type challenge. It's very hard, however, to argue that uh, successfully, I should say, that this bill violates some sort of uh, civil right because, uh, as we mentioned, all the other things that we put age restrictions on, this falls right in line with that. Um, in fact, we we wanted to put an age of 21 on there. We felt like that it would be better to even wait till they're 21. But we're advised by attorneys that, you know, we that kind of singles this out because the other other things that we mentioned have an, an age of 18 on it. And so this is why we went with 18, because uh, it's just consistent with all those other things that we mentioned, the right to contract, the right to get a credit card, the right to vote, uh, to get married, uh, get tattoos, drink, smoke, all those other things. Or at, at the age of 18, and this falls right in line with that. So it's going to be very hard, I think, for them to successfully challenge this because it is consistent with the other things that we do in society. I don't think any such challenge would meet with success, and um, I would caution or hope that they would realize that and not even attempt it. Well, Speaker Gunn, I would hope that uh, that they would not challenge it either, because uh, this is exactly why the people's representatives in the state legislatures and then, of course, uh, carried and signed by the by the governor. Uh, the, this is on behalf of the people and it is the legislative purview. And uh, this type of bill uh, does fall in line exactly with uh, what you're describing. Other um, perfectly legal, perfectly constitutional provisions that have existed um, for decades. And so this is right in line and whether or not the left likes it. Um, this is exactly why we elect our state legislators and um, and why this type of legislation uh, isn't currently, for example, being contemplated in the state of California, where they have a little bit different of a of, of a makeup of their general assembly. Well, let me and let me reiterate this: this whole the, the whole impetus behind this, the driving force, is the health and welfare of children. And to, to challenge that or take that on, it, is, it really says a lot. If, if, if they are trying to undo the health and welfare of children, that I think highlights that this is a political agenda. This is driven by something other than taking care of children, which I think exposes the true agenda there, which is not actually in the best interest of the health and welfare of the children. And, and they want to come out like they are affirming 
and they care about kids when they really don't. This bill is the one that affirms and cares for children. This bill is the one that protects their health and welfare, not the agenda being driven by the left on this issue. Incredibly well said, and I fully agree, uh, Speaker Philip Gunn. So, um, so this is and it can be used as model legislation for other states who may be uh, poised to uh, carry something similarly. So, um, if you are listening in a state other than Mississippi and you want to uh, take this bill and go to your state legislator and say, you know, why aren't we doing something like this in our state? I would encourage you to do that and uh, to have Mississippi as the model. And so, uh, Speaker Gunn, in just the last few minutes. That I have with you this morning. Um, what what are the next things that uh, the state of Mississippi is poised to do? And, and again, thank you so much for standing firm on issues of protecting life, protecting um, the minority of children, and um, be, just protecting the core values of of what makes us a moral and upright society. Well, you mentioned the overturning of Roe versus Wade last summer, and we have hit the ground running after that to bring forward a whole host of bills and proposals that will care for the women and children who hopefully will, will now move forward, not those who might have previously had an abortion who will no longer have that abortion. Now, let me be quick to say, we've been doing this for years. We didn't just wait till Roe versus Wade was overturned to start taking care of women and children. But we are we have uh, brought to bear a higher um, focus on that, and where we brought forth a number of bills this year that are designed to encourage, <clears throat> excuse me, encourage adoption. We have brought forward bills that make adoptions more efficient, quicker, uh, cheaper. We've tried to reduce the cost of adoption. We have raised a tax credit or given a tax credit to uh, those who wish to adopt so that it helps them with the cost of that. We have made a, we brought forward what we call a foster care bill of rights to encourage more parents to step up to be foster care homes and take care of those in our uh, child protective system. We have given a tax credit to our crisis pregnancy centers around the state. We have 37 crisis pregnancy centers around the state, and we have brought forward a tax credit that allows uh, companies in this state to give part of their tax liability to a crisis pregnancy center to help it with its annual operating budget rather than giving it to the state of Mississippi. This is a huge no-brainer for those. You, you, you're you a company. You owe money to the state of Mississippi. Let's say you owe $10,000 to the state of Mississippi. This is money you're going to pay. This is your tax liability. But we are allowing them to give up to half of that, $5,000, so say, to a crisis pregnancy center to support that operation so that they can provide help and counseling to women who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. Um, we have an entire agenda this session of things that we're trying to do to make a higher focus, uh, higher priority on women and children to make sure that they uh, receive the care that they need as they Good. move forward. We have well, Speaker Gunn, we're, we're out of time, but I so appreciate that. And thank you for standing firm and to directly confront what the left suggests that we're not interested. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.